just one month left of the Vasa. We can reflect on the results of our practice so far for the last two months. If we take a period of time, two or three months, look at our practice, can see that probably there are those periods where things seem to go well, those periods where there are more difficulties or obstructions. We can reflect that this is just the normal way of life until the Eightfold Noble Path is perfected. Then there will always be some hiccups, ups and downs, or unevenness in our practice. unevenness in our effort, unevenness in our understanding of Dhamma. So we have to keep returning to the fundamentals of good practice, the reasons why we came to practice, reflect on them, And the ways of good practice, we return to them, bring them up. And to remind ourselves of this truth that it's natural for the practice to go up and down and not to get too elated with the highs or too discouraged with the lows. And just see it all as part of the practice. It's very normal. We come into the robes. Our cultural conditioning, social conditioning, our background, the way we think, the way we act in the past is largely, has largely been conditioned by the Kilesa, led by the Kilesa. We have to remember that takes uh, some effort just to step out of the norm, the normal routines of lay life. The norms of society where mm. most lay people go out 
earn a living, maybe have a family or relationship, and seek different kinds of pleasure, sense pleasure, temporary sense pleasures, as their goal in life. We're fortunate we've taken a step out of that, but our old habits and conditioning follow us. So we keep having to put effort into breaking through those old habits, ways of thinking. We have to use the tools that the Buddha gave us, the Eightfold Noble Path, Sila, Samadhi, Panya, and direct our efforts and our attention, our interest to that. We have to change some of our old ways. We have to be willing not to always follow our old ways, old habits. Start using the Dhamma, the Dhamma teachings and the ways of practice to help with this. The, the Dhamma Vinaya is that which is for the ending of suffering, not the increasing of suffering. It's that which is for the reduction of kilesa, not the increasing of kilesa. It's that which is for fewness of wishes, not increasing our wishes and desires, and so on. We can use the reflection on Dhamma Vinaya, the Eightfold Path, and look at our practice. Am I increasing in my desires and my wishes and my wants? Am I increasing in my suffering? as an experience or can we see some fruits from the practice less suffering less desire more peace the Buddha pointed out that before we even come to the Eightfold Noble Path we tend towards the two extremes of sensual indulgence or self-mortification, the seeking of pleasure and indulgence in pleasure, or else the painful way. putting ourselves to unnecessary or unwise pain and difficulty and trouble, thinking that it will bring us to spiritual liberation. And neither of these ways are correct, and yet our minds tend towards them quite often. Often we come into the robes, we've got our habit of seeking sense pleasure and comfort and getting what we want. But as a monk, there's many limits on following that. 
So we often feel frustration. We might temporarily seek distraction to get away from our frustration, but there's not so much to distract ourselves in this life. So we're stuck feeling either desire for pleasures and comfort or else stuck with our frustrations. So we often have an experience of moving towards pleasure or getting frustrated and feeling some pain, some suffering. Sometimes we react to the desire for sense pleasure and try to become very strict or we get angry with that desire and then push ourselves to a more ascetic way of practice for a while give ourselves a hard time and sometimes we swing back and just indulge or become lazy These, again, these are quite natural tendencies that we'll probably have to experience and put up with in the course of our practice until the Eightfold Path is established in our heart. Because this is the way of unenlightened beings. We, we do this, so we shouldn't be surprised by it or feel disheartened when we see that happening, but rather just go back to the source and the conditioning and see where this is arising from. If we're attaching too much to pleasure or pain, then it's a sign that the, we're moving away from the Eightfold Path. Those eight factors are not quite balanced and not present in the mind. The place where those eight factors arise is the mind. It's not enough just to hear the Dhamma or read the Dhamma. We have to start looking at ways of bringing up the Eightfold Path in our daily life, our daily practice, right here, right now. We can see when we get caught into moods of pleasure-seeking or being hard on ourselves, harsh on ourselves, strict on ourselves. Either way, if it's not yet balanced, then there tends to be some reactions, some consequences of that. We can start looking at that as a way of changing our behavior, seeing the that it's not getting us any peace or bringing up much wisdom. In looking at the results of what we're doing. And then also accepting, being willing to accept that we have to practice. We can't expect everything to be smooth and easy all the time. Sometimes we do face obstacles, different mood swings, distractions. Sometimes feeling enthusiastic, enthusiastic, sometimes feeling bored, sometimes feeling pleasure, sometimes feeling pain, and so on. 
but rather than grasping at those moods as a self and then indulging in them and getting caught up in them in the usual way that we did in the lay life. We have to start returning to the practice. See that the cause of the freedom from suffering is going to be reapplying ourselves to the Eightfold Path. Sila Samadhi Panya. When we practice the Eightfold Path, it brings up the quality of knowing Samasati, which when developed well becomes Samasamati. That quality of knowing, little by little, grows, and out of that our wisdom becomes more clear, more well-established. Wisdom grows out of it. The experience of becoming mindful and developing mindfulness in all postures and in all situations, whatever's arising in the mind, to know it for what it is. Just know moods as moods, thoughts as thoughts, mind as mind, dhammas as dhammas, body as body, feeling as feeling. Just knowing things as they are. Even moods of boredom or depression or distraction, when you establish mindfulness, you just know them as that much, just as moods, as different kinds of hindrances arising. What we tend to do is always establish sense of self with these different moods and different experiences with the body in my body we feel good in the body or feel pain in the body it's my body my feeling my pain my pleasure my good feeling we feel strong or we feel weak we feel healthy or we feel ill it's always me i feel ill i feel strong this is our old conditioning from the lay life, the sense of self, the image of a self. The Eightfold Path is helping to penetrate deeper than that, not to just follow those old habit patterns. Just to know body as body, feeling as feeling, without adding anything onto it, without inflating it into a sense of self which will cause us all the more suffering from that attachment. When you keep bringing out mindfulness in the present moment, whatever's arising, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, it just becomes dumber for the mind to know. of equal value, pleasure and pain, of equal value. Feeling healthy, feeling ill, feeling happy, feeling sad, high or low. When they become the object of mindfulness, then they're all of equal value. 
and the sense of personal identification with it all separates off just knowing things as they are as we practice this then we see the value of sila to bring the mind to a sense of inner mindfulness, awareness, where it can contemplate, separate off from its normal attachment. You can see how sila, good sila, following the Vinaya helps to support that, settling the mind down. You know what you're doing. You know what you should be doing at any one time. The correct ways to practice, correct monastic form and etiquette, correct ways to speak, correct ways to act. As you train in the Vinaya, it brings up the Lokabala Dhammas, Ahiriyotapa, the guardians of the world, just protecting over the mind from not falling into unwholesome states and expressing them through body and speech. Little by little, as you learn the Vinaya, you learn the rules of training and how to apply them, you become more experienced in them, they become more natural. So it naturally brings a stability. That underlying stability helps you to deal with the ups and downs of mood swings and different physical and mental experiences that we have to deal with gives you a standard of practice, a standard of behavior, so you know what you should be doing, what to expect, what the right thing to do is at any one time. And if everybody in a monastery is practicing the same standard, well, then it becomes very peaceful, supportive for a general environment for Dhamma practice. It allows the mind to turn inwards and go deeper, penetrate through this more superficial attachment to the world which we're used to. Once you practice living in a monastery and practice the Vinaya for many years, then the very thought of going back into the world and the social conventions of the beings in the world who are mostly unenlightened based on kilesa seems frightening it's not desirable very superficial and not conducive to insight so naturally the mind feels compassion for lay people who are still struggling with the world and living in the world and following the conventions of the world in that sense very difficult even just to keep the five precepts in the world. To see through all the different views and opinions and belief systems and superstitions and attitudes of modern society, the correct ways, political correctness and so on. To see that through, to see the Dhamma in all that and maintain the Eightfold Noble Path, quite a challenge. And the more you practice as a bhikkhu and become content within the Vinaya, then 
the less doubt you have about that going back to the lay life and then the less fuzziness uncertainty about what the true or the correct way to live and practice is and the Eightfold Noble Path helps to dispel all kinds of wrong views, wrong beliefs superstitions about the world, about life about what is right and wrong, good and bad just brings you, grounds you in common sense and wisdom understanding karma, what is good karma and bad karma the results of good karma, the results of bad karma you get to see that, you know the only way to develop true happiness is to by abandoning bad karma and developing good karma to the point where you have no doubt about that no uncertainty and you don't want to compromise that understanding anyway by breaking precepts or following wrong views maybe even on pain of death quite happy just rather die than break the precepts or go in the way of wrong views or superstition not worth it if you really understand this point and it's not worth going in those directions the mind just can't be bothered you'd rather die the first and as that understanding becomes more refined then even the more refined kilesas which even monastics have to deal with still one can recognize them for what they are more and more clearly Kilesa, seeing Kilesa as Kilesa, even though it still comes up and tricks you and overcomes the mind from time to time, at least you gradually recognize that sooner or later and want to set aside those Kilesa and not follow them. What allows you to do that is the Eightfold Path, maturing in the mind, the Sila Samadhi Panya, and all the experience of the practice. You don't have to talk so much about developing refined states of samadhi, different kinds of levels of insight, and just direct observation of how your mind is and how you think on a day-to-day -day basis, how you behave, and your experience you know, of this body, of this mind on a day-to-day -day basis. How much are you identifying with it as a self? How much suffering does that bring you? If you do have pain and discomfort from illness or just wear and tear of the body, how much do you cling to that as a self? And how much do you suffer with that? The more you cling to your body and the feelings that come to, from it, or even the pleasure that you might have with this body and seeking and clinging to the pleasure with it and the more you identify with pleasure and pain the heavier the burden on the mind it becomes it's like you're carrying a sack on your back and just keep adding rocks to that sack every time you identify with this body as a self and the feelings of pleasure and pain as self you keep adding, throwing rocks into this sack on your back it's gradually weighing you down. Just conditions more attachment to self. 
more delusion, more suffering, more anxiety, fear, worry, anger. All the defilements keep becoming stronger if we're not reflecting on this. That heavy bag becomes heavier and heavier. So the effect on the mind is just to feel weighed down. And the Buddha said Kilesa is oppressive. The Kilesa, they oppress this mind. Oppression means pressing down on, bearing down on, or literally just feeling heavy. Whereas the Dhamma and the Eightfold Path is what frees us from that, frees us from Kilesa, frees us from attachment, giving us the tools to do that. Sila Samadhi Panya, mindfulness and wisdom. So the result of applying the mind to the Eightfold Path is it feels free, lighter, happier in itself, more content, even if only f for brief moments when these when it turns the mind to the path. And this is the choice we face as bhikkhus, you know, whether we're going to keep applying ourselves to the practice, be willing to keep practicing even if it's difficult or there's obstacles, or we return to the worldly way, where we just give in to the kilesas, which sometimes seems easier but always leads to suffering as a result. As we practice, we can see when, because these eightfold path and the, the factors of the eightfold path arise in the mind, they're not bound by time and place or posture so the time and place to practice is always here what you're doing right now through your day morning through to first as you wake up your first breath of the day right through to the last breath at night it's every moment is the place of practice the time to practice and the practice it doesn't doesn't have to be choosy. So even when you're feeling tired or fed up or stuck into some mood, it's still a time to practice. It's just being willing to turn your mind to bring up the eightfold path. Keep the sila, develop the right effort to abandon the unwholesome dhammas, bring up the wholesome dhammas, establish mindfulness. When that mindfulness becomes continuous, becomes samadhi. And keep reflecting using the peace and the mindfulness to reflect on the Dhamma, developing wisdom through wise attention. And just being willing to keep doing that even when different moods and different problems come your way. So see the value of practicing mindfulness in all postures. You be creative. We can't always compare ourselves to other people. 
Some people, at some time in their practice, they sit better, they do more sitting, while others do more walking. Some people used to do more sitting and now do more walking. Some people used to do more walking and now do more sitting. These things aren't always fixed. So we have to be flexible and try things out. Within the Eightfold Path, there's still plenty of room to experiment with different meditation objects to help loosen that attachment and identification with the hindrances. Different methods to arouse energy, different using the different sila and the different kinds of practices to just bring up more determination, more effort in the practice, more energy. Try in different postures, sitting, walking. Walking meditation, you can try different objects as you walk and just try practicing walking as walking. Just putting your mindfulness on the body and the movement of the body. Learning to be within the body, keep the mind within the body, not let it all drift off into daydreams about the future, the past, other places, other things. Just keeping it with the body, the movement of the body, one step at a time. Or other times you can use the breath as you're walking or another theme of Dhamma, or just contemplating the arising, passing away of phenomena as you walk. Many options. If you experiment, it should be done with wisdom, with the real intent to learn from your experience, not just jumping from one thing to another, out of boredom or distraction, but with a real honest intention to learn from your experience and and learn how to quieten the mind down and observe better what's going on. Really get familiar with the impermanence of this body and this mind, the changeable nature. Every mood, every thought, every feeling, every memory is very uncertain. And this is how delusion forms, isn't it? We don't see impermanence. And we fix onto a view about something, about ourselves, our body, our health, our mind, the way our mind is, the way we are, our personality. We have fixed views which are actually just delusion. Keep using the meditation techniques to break through some of these delusions. Walking meditation, walking for longer periods. Ajahn Chah said, walk until you're completely drained of energy and just see what it's like. You won't die. Just walk and walk, practice walking sometimes, walking a lot, late at night, in the middle of the day. Just see what it's like being practicing mindfulness when your legs are tired. When you want to sit down, or what's it like if you just keep going? When you're sitting and you want to get up, we'll just keep sitting. Try sitting for longer periods. Being with the pain of your knees or your back.
use the lying down posture as you go to sleep if you're going to sleep at night sleep as a meditator you'll sit lie down on your right hand side in the lion's posture and just follow the breath in and out until you fall asleep establish in your mind as soon as I wake up I'll get up and continue practicing mindfulness you get into that habit so it's just normal to fall asleep with the breath without any kind of dreaming or proliferation or fantasizing practice being mindful in all the unusual postures postures like when you're having a bath a shower when you're going to the toilet all of these are equally valuable be mindful of every posture every activity as you're eating your food keep learning how to let go of the proliferation don't send your eyes out looking at things don't think about what you're going to do later just be aware of eating and see the dukkha of eating chewing food filling your stomach up digesting it Wash your bowl after the meal. Practice mindfulness of the posture of washing the bowl, looking after your bowl, drying it, airing it, putting it in its cover. As you go back to your kuti, sweeping around the kuti or sweeping in the kuti, folding your robes, keeping your kuti neat and tidy with mindfulness sitting walking at your kuti learn to become regular in good habits of sila samadhi panya these will help you to ride through the periods when you might have mental suffering arise. Get into habits of regular sitting, regular walking, following the monastic regulations around looking after bowls, robes, looking after your kuti. Do it regularly so even when you're feeling bored or upset or anything, homesick, whatever it may be, you've still got a basis of practice that you can follow then you can just observe these moods as moods arising, passing away. Don't let them influence your good practice, your sila. Don't let them make you lazy and indulgent. You just keep up your practice, whatever the mood, whether you feel like doing it or not, whether you feel happy or unhappy, you just keep doing it. And if you really want to gain experience in the practice, that's how you do it. Gradually your patience and endurance develops. This allows you to see all kinds of moods arising, passing away. You just see them what they are. Just an each dukkha anatta. You see the body, sometimes it's strong, sometimes weak, sometimes painful, sometimes feels good. You just see all those changes, but don't, don't identify with them as a self. You just see them as what they are, just physical and mental phenomena arising, passing away in your experience. 
become regular in the way you talk to other people, talk with sila, talk with wisdom, talk things that are useful and to the point and honest and clear, kind and helpful. Get into that habit to the point where it's just normal so then your speech isn't bothering your meditation. Learn how to be quiet when you need to be quiet. Get into good routines. You're using your time wisely when you get up in the morning through to the, when you go to bed at night. Using your time wisely on a, in a regular way, a habitual, good, skillful way. You'll find over years and years of practice and all of this supports the rising of insight and understanding. And there may be different moods and different problems that used to be very big and give you all kinds of suffering over time they just become small insignificant things just like a hiccup or a mosquito bite when you begin practice and a mosquito bite can become very distracting and annoying when you keep practicing then it becomes quite ordinary and you just don't even give it a second thought similarly with other kinds of suffering when you have illness, when you begin practice, it's a big thing. Maybe it's a big drama that you have to think a lot about, talk a lot about, do a lot about. After a while, it just becomes a small thing. It's just part of the routine. Mood changes, getting upset with what other people do or say. In the beginning, it's a big thing that fills your mind up, maybe the whole day. After a while, you become bored with Indulging in those moods are just small thing. What other people do, that's their problem, and you just let go of it. Even the highs in practice, any pity or sukha arising, any peace that arises, also just gets into perspective over time. You just know it. Peace is like this. Pity and sukha is like this. You don't crave it or expect it. You just recognize it for what it is. And this is how the practice grows, our wisdom grows as we understand things as they are rather than always making a lot out of them and proliferating on them and suffering with them all. This is when the Eightfold Path becomes established in the mind, all those factors working together, developing true equanimity towards conditions gives the mind the chance to penetrate a little bit deeper in all situations, not always just stuck into social conventions and thinking in the old way. The mind can drop some of that and just observe things as Dhamma arising, passing away. Everything is Dhamma rather than just everything is about me and mine and my problems and so on. This is when all those rocks in that sack on your back, you start to throw them out again. You're no longer carrying around a big sense of self and a big sense of personal suffering and problems and expectations and hopes and all of that stuff. You just let it all go and the mind becomes very light and at ease. At ease within the Vinaya, within the Dhamma, within the meditation, within the monastic form. Then there's no doubts, there's no wrong views, there's no problems. Even though there are problems arising, the mind doesn't make any big problems out of problems. Problems are just things that arise, pass away. This is when the 
practice becomes very even. Doesn't mean to say you're free from all your karmic vibhaka karma, but it just means whatever arises, you just deal with using the eightfold path, using mindfulness and wisdom. Contemplate it and let it go, and the mind returns to its feeling of being at ease and light, not wanting very much from the world or not expecting much from the world. Becomes very peaceful inside. I'll leave you with these reflections tonight.